I'm Doug Orchard, and I made a movie on how to become an old crazy runner. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. I am Nicholas, the oldest of the old crazy runners, and joining me, as always, is my cousin, Fundy. Crazy one. And also the slowest of the crazy runners recently as I get back in shape. But before we get to that, stick around for Doug Orchard, the director of The Motivation Factor, and what it means to get PE back into the lives of our school children. I remember our days uh, in PE. I loved PE, and we had some of the craziest PE teachers out there. And for the life of me, can't remember his name. Who was our seventh grade PE teacher? Oh, I don't even remember. I have no, I blanked. I, I, I remember so little of the seventh grade. The only thing I remember is our crazy shop teacher, and we were forced to write in all block uppercase letters. Yes, Mr. Barton. I remember that guy. Yeah. Well, I remember some of the craziest stuff that we did in uh, PE, and although they called it PE, it really wasn't. And I think that's one of the things that's going to come out in this interview is really getting back to understanding what it means to be physically educated. But before we get to that, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and also head on over to Strava and join the old crazy runner Strava Run Club, because one thing you always need in your running life is inspiration and shame to get back out there. we got to shame each other, put in some more miles. I'm looking on Strava, and I see that one of our OCR crew, Tristan Todd, got out and ran uh, some trail miles today. Looks like a... a Tough day to be out, out outside. Although we, we, it's the first time in forever there was no rain, so that was good. Uh, but probably a little cold out there, a little nippy. But I saw he posted a photo. He was out there with his dog. I'm not sure what part of having a dog makes it less cold, but good for him for getting out there. Uh, it's a reminder that um, we have not. Uh, I've been nursing uh, another bit of a, an injury popped my knee and uh what have you been nursing just uh not having time well i've actually uh been doing the plan i've been out oh, that's there right, been hitting, you've got it i've been getting my uh, four runs a week hitting my plan hitting my pace days which is a change from uh november and december i had a uh very severe case of the wussies so what is your pace right now so this is, should we just dive into how to get back into shape or how to start running if you're new or how to rebuild your base? Exactly. It's exactly what we should talk about because my base is, uh, I think it's basement level base. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, we both got COVID and then recovered from COVID and then I had moved into a new house, was building the deck, the ginormous deck of incredulous deckness. Project that never and then. Ended. End of November was cold and rainy and December's cold and rainy. So I just got out of shape, right? So what we want to do is go out there and try to just run our old pace over and over again. And then we injure ourselves, uh, not looking at you. It could be something else. I don't know. It was totally <laughs> something else. Was it good? Good. It was oh, something yeah. else. Oh, yeah. No, no. That, I was, it was not running caused. But running so, does play a part in my injury. That's an important <laughs> point of uh, the conversation today as well. So the key is 
when you're ready to start running or ready to rebuilding your base is knowing a little bit about zone two training and what zone two is. You can go online, you can Google it. There are some complex formulas for figuring out your top end of your zone two. It's roughly 185 beats a minute minus your age. Round it off. It's super rough. Don't yell at me for that bad information, but that'll get you close enough for this discussion. You can also go online and, and learn how to really figure it out, or you can probably you can pay 50 bucks and go to some clinics and they'll do it for you. But mine's roughly 135 beats a minute, 136.7, just kind of depending. And then uh, simply 80% of your runs or 80% of the miles you put in, you're running at that slow heart rate pace. And what that means, you know, we were going, I just did 150, uh, an hour 52 minute marathon. You know, I think it was what, 817 pace. I am actually, when I started, I actually had to walk. Did you just say an I, hour 15 marathon? Hour 52. Did you just say an I, hour 52 marathon? Half marathon. Okay. Did I say, did I say nothing <laughs> <Yeah>. correct? An <laughs> no. hour and 52 minute half marathon, which is an 817 pace, I think is what it was. But when did you, you know, run that? Rebuilding the base. Was that the Portland Marathon? The Portland Marathon. Portland, yeah. I, you know, I was starting out just three mile runs, start running, look at my heart rate, gets over, I'm walking. Start running again, heart rate goes up, I'm walking. That was the first two weeks of getting back in shape was, you know, walking every five minutes for 30 seconds, 45 seconds to get that heart rate back down. But what that does is it basically, it's just training your heart. You're increasing your, your mitochondria numbers and ability to process protein, increasing your red blood cells, processing oxygen, and you slowly get faster and faster. So I did, uh, did a pace day. I think I did an 843. Wasn't really pushing it, so felt good. Did uh, four miles, but my slow run days are kind of all over the board. They're anywhere between a ten minute mile to an eleven, eleven twenty, just depending on how tired I am from the previous day's runs. Well, I, I'm not sure how to balance uh, applauding and uh, ridiculing you through through all of that, but it is important that there are the guidelines you follow them for what fits your needs. Um, you mentioned a bit ago that you, you know, you abandoned the stride. It was not working for you. I still find the stride to be very, very functional. I, I can't focus on my heart rate that closely to know how to go up and go down. And I've gotten so used to how the stride manages that. And it's been a good balance for me. But the point being, I'm monitoring something on my run. And when it tells me to slow down, I slow down. And when it tells me to speed up, I speed up. And I still follow that very rigidly because I know that that's part of what all of this training is. So find what works well for you, but make sure that you get into something where you are monitoring the physical attributes of what's happening in the run. And I just totally agree on the stride. I think for building the base, I just like to go back to the heart rate just because it's old school tried Works and true. For you. Yeah. And uh, also if you're new to running, I don't think the stride is the place to start. If you're brand new, just start with a heart rate, start with a simple watch that build your base, get a 10 K half marathon in there. And then if you like the stride metrics, jump into there. I think, 
I think for a brand new runner, it's probably too much. Well, it could be, but I would also say it doesn't have to be. If you, you, a brand new runner could absolutely incorporate the stride right out of the gate and use the zone two for the first 30, 60 days while the strides getting used to how you run. And then you could move. I mean, at that point, your power range is still going to be on the low end. And that, that's, that's what it's <laughs> you're, you're going to be. You're not going to be moving. No, I mean, my, <laughs> my critical power is just plummeting from my, yeah. from my lack of activity. And so when I go out and run, it's, it's everything is scaled down because of that. And although it brings a mass of data at the end of the run, you could literally be running with no more information than are you in your zone and allowing that to, to monitor. So, you know, again, whatever can work well. I, I tried the heart rate monitors. Uh, I couldn't wear the chest strap. It bugged the hell out of me. Couldn't ever get it to fit right. I couldn't get it talking to my, my, my information. It just didn't, didn't work. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah, but and I think either way we're if both you do, getting there. Yeah, and I think if you do go heart rate, I feel like the Garmin is a little bit easier to use. It's it's the screen's easier to see. It syncs with its own heart rate monitor a little bit better, you know, because you're not bringing in two different types of devices. But even more importantly, don't just go to the store and buy some running shoes. Go to the running store, find someone to watch you run. And have them recommend shoes, try a bunch on, jog around the outside of the store, make sure it feels good because I don't know how many new runners I know that get injured because they just bought the wrong shoes. Bought the wrong shoes, ran too far the very first time because they felt cool or felt really good, better than they actually were. Uh, And then (laughs) I I mentioned that a couple episodes back talking with my veterinarian that's like, ah, oh, went out there and just, I run as hard as I can. I can never figure out why I can't go past a half marathon. Well, that's because. Because you run as hard as you can. 100. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, I have, uh, I'm still a couple weeks out from even getting back on the road. I am on a self-imposed, no runs at all for the month of February. Uh, I went to kneel down and felt my right knee just kind of lock. And as yeah. I tried to get out of that position, it popped on me and probably, I mean, fortunately nothing that went beyond, uh, you know, just sitting in the doctor's office, them wanting to say it's your 53, sir. <laughs> that, <laughs> is, that is, that is, your, that's my diagnosis too. It's, it's old, it's old and creaky. Uh, but, <laughs> and actually, uh, Chris, White had a, a similar situation. He, you know, I'm not exactly sure how he popped his knee, but he definitely hurt the pop. And both of us experienced very similarly, um, no swelling, no discoloration, no bruising, no indication of like a major injury. But go to the doctor anyway. <laughs> go to the yeah. doctor and get it ruled out because the worst thing you could do is self-diagnose incorrectly and you take a fairly moderate injury and you inflame it and you don't heal, and I I say this in the most ironic way. I'm fortunate enough to have been too stupid to pay attention to soft tissue injuries that this time around I knew flat out I just got to shut it down (laughs) completely for at least four weeks. Look at my calendar. I mean, that meant uh, there's a 10K this weekend I'm not running. The Vancouver Lake Half Marathon is next weekend. That's out. 
I'm probably, all I heard right there is that my uh, my time stands for the Vancouver half. Oh, that's all I heard from that conversation. I was looking for an opportunity to redeem myself and run with a full shoe, like all the parts <laughs> that are supposed shoe. to be in the shoe, the entire shoe. That would have been a good yeah. thing. Uh, it, but both of these situations are important to recognize how to come back because when I start back up in March, I am not going to be where I was six, eight weeks ago. I am at zero and I have to slowly train more to make sure I don't overextend this injury than necessarily being worried about getting out there and getting out of shape too quickly. But yeah, I, I, I don't need to be tweaking any more knees. This is, yeah. I, I am lucky this happened when it did. Everything yeah. Oh, if it happened like is, right before Hood to Coast. Oh, I know. That's exactly oh, that what I was sucked. thinking. Wow. I, yeah. I, well, I, <clears throat> I can tell you this. I would have walked to Hood to Coast. I would not have skipped yeah. here. I would have found some way to finish Got those one of those legs. fucking scooters. One of those little, oh, man. those little knee scooters. What I would need to do is have you guys hand that to me as you drove by. Yeah. So I didn't have it at the, at the gate. Oh man, that would that would be terrible. But that's it. That was a lot of what was in my mind. Is is uh, now is the time to make sure this gets taken care of, and uh, I'll be starting fresh again. So, whether you're coming off an injury, whether you have just not been out there for a while, or more importantly, if this is something that you are finally deciding that you want to get out there and start to embrace, uh, it's the same road for all of us, and that is that slow, steady build. Today's guest, Doug Orchard, directed The Motivation Factor, which you can go online, just search it up. I believe I watched it last time on Amazon. It is an amazing documentary. It really is. And it's also kind of somewhat depressing. It's, what was that? What, what <laughs> so were we depressing. About? What were we talking about earlier? The motivation and the shame. It's kind of, maybe, it's not shame, but there's definitely some motivation in there. Uh, it really just highlights how we have declined as a society in the importance of uh, teaching physical education at a young age. And just to couch this, so this documentary is about a high school in Southern California that was chosen by the JFK administration as an example high school for the new program that John F. Kennedy wanted to put forward to get America back into shape. And these clips. You watch these clips, every single boy in the high school had a six-pack, all of them. It was like 100 kids. Everybody looked like they were in at least moderate shape. Yeah, it was the precursor to the presidential fitness, uh, was that the presidential fitness, presidential physical fitness award. That was yeah. a mouthful. No wonder they don't do anymore. Off. They don't do it anymore. I remember that. No. We did it. I think we were right yeah. on the tail end. Yeah. I also love that they incorporate these uh, students and talk with them in the current day and see how it has impacted their life. And, and what I would take away, what I would recommend for everybody out there is to see not only the uh, value and the benefit uh, when they were students, but what that has transpired as, as they grew. And um, it really emphasizes on the old side of being old, crazy runners that if you want to be a runner and be old, you take care of yourself in the right way and you will run for the rest of your life. This is a great conversation. You're going to love it. 
Let's get to it. Doug Orchard, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's great to have you. Hey, great to be here, and thank you so much for this invitation. So I have to say I am jealous that you're in Florida where it's sunshiny, although you did have some cold weather recently, didn't you? We did, but today is 81 degrees, and I purposely have held off doing my morning exercise because I'm going to go run on the beach, which is four minutes from my house, on the sand, and uh, looking forward to that. Shirt off, 81 degrees, and it's February the 4th. Uh, So most likely my (laughs) run will be in the rain uh, in a balmy uh, 44, 45 degrees. Yeah, I was just thinking I need to invest in one of those Oculus masks because that's the only way I'm going to run on the beach today. (laughs) Oh, so true. So true. So, Doug, I came across you actually because one of my Facebook friends was talking about uh, intermittent fasting to stay healthy, and he referenced your fasting documentary, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, And then I just went to your website and shot you an email, and now we know you're crazy because you responded to my email. I did. I did. Well, yeah, you were talking. Everyone's interviewing me about my current movies, and you want to talk about a couple movies that I did, you know, several years ago. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest with you, they're my favorite film. Oh, well. I mean, especially when we get to the motivation yeah. factor, there's nothing that I think is more important than that. Film. Yeah. It's just. Well, let's. Uh, what, what's great. your new film? Uh, so people can watch that. The one I'm doing right that just released. Uh, it's called the Baby Boomer Dilemma, and so it's it's the big deep dive, PG PG rated. It's playing theaters right now intermittently, and it is um, the big dive on retirement income. So it looks at you know pensions, both public and private, as well as uh, Social Security, four hundred one ks, and annuities. And it, the the structure for it is what's the guarantee, who's the guarantor of that guarantee. And what is their financial health now? So it's it's kind of an eye-opening film. It has all these Nobel Prize winning economists. It's really the who's who at the academic, well, and industry and everything level. And it was crowdfunded. It was not sponsored by any industry. And I'm not, like all my movies, I'm not in any way tied to anything I, of whatever it's covering. I, um, I only make m- movies, money on movies. That's it. Well, uh, I know that Nicholas and I's retirement plan is just to keep running so we can stay healthy, so we can keep working. It's a good plan. <laughs> it's a great, it's, it's yeah. a better plan than if you have it all at risk. <laughs> You'd see that if you watch that movie. Okay, will do. I did. I, did. I, I, I watched the trailer of that to begin with, uh, and then uh, you know, obviously dove into the one that's going to be uh, of our focus um, predominantly for today. But I, uh, I definitely will be going back and watching that as well. Uh, mostly to just get scared shitless, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's it is an interesting correlation between the two because uh, we're really talking about a generation. If we're talking about the baby boomers from their financial and their retirement health, that's the generation that you interviewed for the motivation factor. It is, and and you know big secret with me is my political hot button is our us national debt that's yeah. what keeps me up at night i don't care that much about the other stuff as long as you pay only what you collect <laughs> not more <laughs> you know that's it that that's you got to operate like everybody else and when you don't it's a promised tax on the next generation there's you are lying when you raise tax, when you spend money you don't have, you are raising taxes. 
you just are doing it on somebody else. And um, I think it's immoral and all that stuff. So it, it bothers me. And the other thing is it's an unnecessary debt. So the motivation factor demonstrated that when, if we could just keep ourselves outside of the preventable illnesses, which represent 80% of the federal spend on healthcare, the U.S. national debt at the time of that film, which was 2017, would have been zero, nothing. Okay, I have the economists go through it. Um, you'll see I have a lot of economists in my movie. Um, I'm, this is not related to my son, but my son just accepted a position with the Fed, Federal Reserve Board in D.C. He's just finishing his Ph.D. and his dissertation was on inflation. So, you know, it's kind of been the topic in our house. We've talked about this for many, many, many years. And, um, and I'm concerned about that. And what we saw with fasting, intermittent fasting, where if you could just not eat at night and you happen to be a rat, all chronic illnesses go away. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and so when we look at these chronic illnesses, it all comes down to two things. And the word and in between matters. It's diet and exercise. Both right. are there. Yeah. We want to always just go one or the other, but it's both. And, um, and so there are some simple solutions that are lifestyle-based. And the motivation factor looked at, you know, old school PE. And there's this idea of what are we teaching our kids? And, um, and can we make somebody love being a healthy person? Um, and for me, it's all about what it does to our brain and who we become when we exercise. I mean, I exercise for how it makes me feel. Yeah. Obviously not for how it makes me look. So let's, <laughs> well, uh, we, you know, I've been running more than I ever have and I'm not getting better looking and I'm disappointed in the yeah. science. So just to get that out there. <laughs> I'm convinced that uh, I have a uh, mile per hair loss ratio somewhere <laughs> in my gene pool. Unlike the two of you, I'm uh, I'm trending in the wrong yeah, direction. Doug's got a great head of hair. Uh, Look at him. I yeah. got hair. I do have yeah. hair. So yeah, that's why it's, we're on Zoom. No one else is seeing yeah. us, but we can see each other's yeah. faces. Yeah, yeah. And I just happen to have a hat on. I got hair, but Nicholas has a hat on for a different reason. Yeah, yeah I got it. Even even in our Oregon sunshine, I got to protect my bald spot. So <laughs> uh, getting back getting back to the movie, I I I think it's really interesting to talk about these two together. Um, because especially in the motivation, uh, factor, when you talk about how that impacts your, um, emotional, spiritual, and mental well-being as well. And, uh, you went, you, you said old school, uh, PE. And I think that's also an important point of all of this because I'm curious to think about, and this is just extrapolation on, on our parts. Most likely you might actually have some data on here, but when did PE change from that? calisthenics to more sports focused because I think that's when we might have lost a lot of kids because that came through in the movie that there were several participants that were encouraged because it wasn't quote unquote a sport related it was it was just physical well-being it actually happened twice in America uh, Ron Jones the executive producer of the movie um, is a great PE historian and uh, for most of his existence uh, last blade has been a PE teacher as well as a teacher in school. And, um, and if you look at the history, the first time it happened in America 
was about as bad of a time as it could be. And it was the end of World War I with the advent of the introduction of the radio. So we had two big things hit. We all think that we sit around on our rear ends all the time, and it's social media's fault, and it's iPhone's fault, or whatever. And then before that, it was TV. It all started with the radio. And you had soap opera radio. And you had people, when you interview Galuerly Look Back, there was a lot of concern about what's this going to do to kids that they're no longer outside playing. They're inside just listening and sitting on the rear ends and all that stuff. At the same time, you had World War One, World War One. Let me get the, the dates right here. Nineteen twenty, World War One ends, and America becomes disillusioned with Europe. You know, we just lost a lot of people. We also had the huge pandemic. You know, right. uh, that just happened as well. So you had all those things working together where they didn't like. They didn't like Europe anymore, and that's where classical PE came from. And so they replaced what was inside the gym with balls and sports. And so they did that at the same time that we were sitting on our rear ends all the time as youth and adults, and we became a sport-centric society. And um, I say when it happened twice, there was a, a renaissance, if you will, that started. Uh, we saw Venice Beach. We look at Muscle Beach. There was an earlier version of that. There was this, this look back to the past. Um, it wasn't so far in the past at that time. And um, we see all that stuff. Jack LaLanne, for example, you know, he was part of this movement. And he was part of, and others were part of this uh, presidential fitness council. Because Eisenhower... Um, you know, we just came out of World War II, and he had Korea War, he's staring down the face. And Eisenhower, there was a guy named Hans Krauss, who was from Germany, left it before Nazi, you know, really took over. He um, fled there. And he was the back doctor, ultimately, to JFK, by the way. But he did this famous study, and he looked at the physical capabilities of the youth in Europe, as well as in America. And America didn't measure up at all compared to Europe. And it was so bad that it became a national security issue. Like, how do you respond in a draft when you can't get most of your people to functionally hold a backpack and do anything, right? How do you do that? So it became a national security issue. So he forms the Presidential Fitness Council, and that floundered. And then President um, Kennedy comes in, and he's out at, at, JF, he's out at the Aerojet and, uh, in Sacramento. Dr. Rancho Cordova outside of Sacramento, and Aerojet's doing all this, you know, um, engine research and all this stuff. And he's visiting, and while there, he has a private dinner with Stan Laprade, who was the coach of La Sierra High School. And Stan had been fortunate enough; his first job out of college, he was at um, worked under a guy named Griffin. He worked out of out um, in um, in the Bay Area. San Francisco Bay Area, he worked with a high school that was still doing that classical PE and had never stopped. You know, they didn't get that memo. They just kept going. <laughs> and so that involved everything, a lot of the things you see in the film with Lost Year High. So his results and the kids were phenomenal. JFK was classically trained. He understood that you don't have societies where they do well and you're not unified. 
you have to be a unified society, a free society. And when you look at the last 21 major civilizations in the world, you'll see that they all do some very similar group physical things to become unified. You become unified when you exercise as a group. Think sports teams, for example. So, but this is like a huge group. Everybody on a, on a field together. It's just massive. It's beautiful. And this was kind of the way it used to be. And, um, and so JFK sees that, and he's planning on desegregating the schools, right? We're going to have blacks and whites in the same school together. That's just not going to work. You're not going to suddenly become unified because you're in the algebra class together. How is it actually going to happen? He understood that this is going to happen. He saw what Lassier was doing. And so he started writing about it. And he, as the president of the United States, he writes in Look Magazine. He writes for Sports Illustrated. And he's giving these reports on the school. And over 4,000 schools in America follow it. Start some version of it. 4,000 high schools. That's huge. And um, it all ends with Johnson. The day John F. Kennedy dies, it dies. So, with the, so I'm telling you the beginning and the end for both. That's when they all happen. One of the things that I was struck with when I watched the documentary, and uh, again, everybody, uh, the motivational factor, go watch it. Oh, I was struck for a, a couple things. One is you have this old footage of these high school kids, and all of the kids in the high school, all of the boys in the high school are doing PE with their shirts off, and they all have six packs. Yep, every one of them. Because that's what a human body does when the human body does that and eats a certain way at that age. Yeah, it was insane. So, so what's that say about today? We don't have that. I mean, you're lucky if uh, 1% of the boys have a six-pack in a high school these days. I mean, you could look at your stomach and you can say, okay, that's my brain. They completely are tied together chemically. Yeah. And, and if your stomach looks a certain way, so does your brain. You are not operating at what you could be operating yeah. at. That's, and, and the other thing that I am, my sister and I talk about this all the time, because um, it doesn't seem to be part of the national conversation. The other thing that I'm completely flabbergasted with is that, you know, we know for a fact that 75% of the people with COVID that end up in the hospital are, are because they're obese. Why haven't yeah. we started just a national positive campaign saying, hey, let's all try to get healthier because the healthier we are, if you get sick, the better off you're going to be. That's a really good question because the first film I ever did as a documentary filmmaker is The Truth About Pandemic Flu in 2009. And I haven't even released that. You asked about that. And because I would be banned. <laughs> and the reason being is because the CDC and the FDA in the movie, what they're saying and the scientists, what they say, we're not doing. So, so when you ask that question, why it is really a loaded question. It is. And, and why haven't we responded like to the motivation factor? Why haven't we done this again with our youth and got that going? And why haven't we moved, done this with adults? It says, you know, here's what's going to happen to us our mental health if we don't. Just the mental health reasons alone, right? We're going to have, it, 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 and, and I've just watched it play out. Frustrating. <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, you know, but ultimately you start finding, you know, happiness and some satisfaction talking to those who are actually interested in improving themselves. And so, you know, for those out there running and doing things, there is another reason to do it. And um, to me, Dr. John Rady at Harvard, who's in that movie, 
he really convinced me that the purpose of exercise, because it is for him, is for what it does for our brains, not necessarily for what it does for anything else. And I actually have two stories in my life that I, I never saw until he told me that. And all of a sudden I look back. I mean, when I was 16 years old, this is my running story. Up till that time in my life, I don't think I had ran more than three miles ever. You know, and, and, and I was, it was the day I was 16 that I learned this lesson. Uh, my family, 16, was a big deal. You know, we would have this, this is your life event. And they would have all the photos and video footage or whatever of the past. All the cousins and friends show up. Big deal. Uh, you know, I don't know. It was just, I, I don't know. It had, had nothing to do with religion or anything else. It's just what we did with the cousins and everybody lived by each other. And I also had planned, so, so it was kind of tradition that you got your driver's test the day you turned 16. Like, that's just right. what you did. So you really worked hard to make sure you're qualified and everything's set up. And I even planned my first major date with this one gal who was older than me for that Friday, two days later. Yeah. I failed that driver's test. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I will tell you, I should have failed it because I did a left-hand turn into a one-way, which I'd never seen before where I had a yield, there was no green arrow, and I'd never seen a light without a green arrow. I mean, we were taking a test outside of the suburbs. It was in the downtown Sacramento. And I needed to learn that lesson. I could have got myself killed or someone else killed. I experienced that all the time here in Florida, by the way, because they only do driver's <laughs> tests. They only do driver's tests in parking lots. <laughs> they never right. leave the parking lot. So there's a lot of that abuse happening here. But anyway, I have compassion for them because I had done it myself when I was 16, first time. Anyway, um, I go home and I'm pissed. I mean, I am mad. I'm red hot. I don't think I'd ever been more frustrated. I was convinced that guy did it for me because of whatever reason in my brain I got there. And my mom says to me, Doug, you need to go out and go for a run and go for a long one because you, you need to be in a better mood tonight when everyone shows up. So I go out and run and I run 11 miles. I had only ran up till three ever in my life. And that was on a Thanksgiving when I was following my dad, who actually was a good runner. And um, two is what I would typically do. I went 11. And I came back a different guy. I felt great. Well, fast forward that to all the way up until about 2016, I used to have an office that was about a 20-mile bike ride from my house. And I would ride my bike in every day. I'd have my office and ride back. And then one, we decided to move it to home. There was no real reason. I just decided to have a home office instead of where I was going. It was just like a remote thing. And so I stopped writing every day, which is a lot of writing. You know, it's a lot of cardio. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I didn't ride for a couple of days. I kept feeling like, oh, I need to get out and do something right now. But I didn't. I didn't go run. I didn't do anything for about three days, four days. And I was sitting there one day just out of the blue. I had the thought. And this is pretty serious. But there's people listening and they need to understand how this works. I had the most, and I had never had a thought like this before at all. I'm not a guy that has depression or anything else. All of a sudden, I thought, I've got a handgun in my handgun safe right here. I could just shoot myself right now and not have any of these problems. It was, it was like a normal day. There wasn't anything particular going on. And what I learned there, and it happened twice, and both times I went downstairs, put my stomach, we went and jumped on the trampoline, and that felt better. And I didn't understand until I was doing the movie that we... Our brains, when we exercise and when we're healthy enough to exercise to a certain level, and for some people, it'll take six months to get there. We get the runner's high, right? 
And so we get the dopamine, the serotonin, everything's released in our brain. We become balanced. We feel great. We are interested in being with other people. We're interested in, you know, all those things. When we suddenly stop because of injury or just change of habit or weather or whatever reason, we need to be really, really careful. And we got to make sure that we're still doing something because it's like stopping Prozac instantly, right? It, it, mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. So you're playing with a really strong chemical when we exercise and when we exercise harder. We need to do rational training. We need to be consistent in our training. And we be very careful when we suddenly have to stop our training. Um, these are real things and we need to understand. We start having these weird, wild thoughts. What's going on? Where the source of that is? And the, and the source is our brain needs chemicals. <laughs> we are chemically <laughs> dependent beings. It drives us to be productive or with a pill, it becomes, you know, yeah. our brains aren't stupid. We'll just want the pill. Yeah. So, uh, but don't, don't just start doing meth or oxy. We, we want, we want no. the natural chemicals that we produce. Yeah. I would like to come back to the comment you started this off with, which was the importance of the and. So the yeah. nutrition and exercise, because we see a correlation in the timeline with the breakdown and how we approach physical activity within the schools to a timeline where we completely change the way that we feed our kids at schools. So that importance of getting the uh, exercise out to get those chemicals running is, is so dependent upon that. So how do we, how do we work on both of those together? Because obviously we have to work on our nutrition as a society as well. You know, um, both of these things, you have to introduce it. So if you're, if you're in a situation, you have kids, you have to introduce it to them, grandkids, whatever. Um, it's like a religion. You don't just wake up one day, I'm going to be Buddha today. I'm going to be Muslim. Like, you have to be introduced. And, um, and someone needs to do a good job introducing healthy food, healthy lifestyle, exercise. Like, that has to be introduced. And, and, and we are failing with all Fs in school like like as bad as it was when the film came out it only became worse to the point that it like just stopped everything i think and like oh i think f would be an improvement at this point yes f minus <laughs> well i mean there's a school in here um prescott pe the junior high school that kept that program going and when i was filming that they were the last still doing this thing since the movie when COVID hit the superintendent in all her wisdom decides you know what we're going to make PE optional and basically n completely neutered and killed the program. And the PE teacher, the last one who knew what's going on, just moved to Texas and trying to talk to anyone in Texas to, to can we start it here? But because of what's involved, there's, um, there's a lot that comes with the, uh, the fact that it's moving. It's like you're breathing hard to get someone to start breathing. They continue breathing. <laughs> you know, it's like this perpetual thing when all the students are helping each other out. Just the same thing. It's easier to continue exercising than to start exercising. All of this. So, so there we are in America right now, and it's very difficult to find anybody really doing anything with it. So as it relates to health and, um, or, or diet and exercise, the onus is on us individually to figure this out. You're not going to find it in school. You're not going to find it in college. Nobody's teaching it. As far as I'm seeing, well, it's just not there. So this, is, this becomes a, a self-exploration and, and teaching our kids how to do it. Um, the FDA, I haven't said this out loud to anybody. I need, I need to. But in my opinion, the FDA needs to be defunded and closed down. Um, it had the responsibility to make sure, Upton Sinclair, 
who wrote the book Fasting in 2000, The Cure, Fasting the Cure in, 2000, in 2000, excuse me, 1920. There we go, 1920. He, um, he was the muckrack journalist who exposed bad meatpacking practices in Chicago in 1906. And he wrote it in a book called The Jungle. And it was that final book that made everyone say, we need an FDA. We need a government body to keep an eye out for all of us. We shouldn't have to rely on these journalists to do it. Okay, fast forward today. Where do we learn that McDonald's food was bad? <laughs> a documentary. <laughs> Where do we learn about the bees are being fed sugar instead of going out with flowers? You know, that they've started feeding them sugar. Some people may not have seen that documentary. And we can go down the list right now. And we're learning it all from YouTubers and documentary filmmakers we're not even learning from major media because they're getting all their advertising dollar from big pharma. So it's structurally, financially set. When I did the motivation factor, I went to a film festival in Hollywood, won it. Um, but uh, when I went there, they had some kind of big time Hollywood people come in and speak to the directors. It was like a part of the deal. And um, Mel Gibson's PR guy for The Passion of Christ was there. And he said... If you want to ever do get advertise or get free um, publicity from a from a, the major news, there are some topics you can't cover in your movie. Like you just can't talk about them. And, and he uses example big pharma. You can't because they're getting 70, 80 percent of their money advertising dollars from that. So it's just a money thing. Like, like you can't talk about that there. And and so that's a problem. So we have the FDA where the where they're really tied with the FDA, you know, CEOs are going back and forth with the boards and whatever. And, um, and so the FDA, so how do we fix this um, when it's so codified? And, and then when you actually come out with a film or a documentary stating truth and just here's where it is, and it doesn't matter how credible the, the, the professors are now, they'll just deplatform it, close it up. And so, um, I mean, that film, the, the, the truth about pandemic flu covered FDA approved N95 respirators. These are respirators for the general public use. Now, everyone listening is like, wait, there are masks that are FDA approved? Um, why is the FDA and the CDC going out and saying, hey, make it, wear it, make it out of your bra, your sock, whatever, wear it, right? I mean, because they deleted that little part on that page right when they said everyone needs to wear this. They actually hid talking about something that's FDA approved, that they had done with the science. And, and so I, I say all this to say, just we need to just take a grown-up pill and know <laughs> this isn't changing for a long time, guys. Yeah. So you want to be healthy, you have to figure it out, and, um, and don't expect to learn it through major media or the news because that whole industry, which is what it's become, really is about, you know, your, 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 your last resort option, you know, drugs. Yeah. So um, I would like to reflect back a little bit on what you were talking about. And I think Nicholas experienced this too. And actually, I think uh, most runners I know experienced this during the, the initial stages of the pandemic, when we were trying to figure everything out and everything shutting down, you know, we're a lot of people uh, dealt with a lot of, uh, you know, depression or depressive thoughts, having to withdraw from society and you don't get that, that same serotonin and dopamine that we get from interacting with people. 
and uh, I ran by far the most miles I had ever run in my life in in 2020. Um, and I mean, that just shows you how much an effect that exercise has on you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your current running regimen now and how you feel that that helps you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, well, right now, um, I am just now able to start to do really good walking. Um, I injured my right ankle in September. And so learning from the past, you know, sitting there with an actual real ankle injury, running, you know, I can't just and I'm I'm not a major runner, okay? So my normal morning is I would go do exercise. I would go run five miles on the beach. Or a few days a week, I would go run from Granada down to the, the pier and back, which is 10 miles. I run barefoot on the sand. And it's a great run. But, and, and, it's, and the sun's coming up, and it's amazing. Or this time of year, I like to do it about lunchtime, and it's just amazing. And um, so that's, that's my normal stuff, you know? Um, but I, I wasn't able to do that, so I made sure that I was able to do some kinds of real exercise. You know, I, I do the clubs. I still could hit the gym. You know, I do all, all the things that I could do to keep that going, understanding that I had a problem with um, actually my left elbow and my ankle at the same time. Um, that was frustrating. And all that all happened because my son, who turns 17 tomorrow, he decided to become a gym rat suddenly. He's like this ch- state champ swimmer, right? Well. Uh, qualifying swimmer and um he dragged me in there and i was trying to keep up with him (laughs) i didn't do what i tell everybody about rational training you know self-imposed injury we just it just never should have happened and it happened so anyway so that's that's where i'm at so i'm very excited to be able to kind of get back i've i have been able to do some barefoot runs up to two two and a half miles and i'm just measuring it i feel like i'm about a month away from being all the way back so, and I do a barefoot stride. Um, I don't always run barefoot, but I do a barefoot stride. So coming back, as you know, running with that style, everything has to come back. You know, the tendons, the Achilles, everything. You can't just go back and hit it hard the first, that first week or else you will be right back out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so you, you certainly can that first yeah. week. <laughs> and, then, and then you'll pay for it. You know, there's an interesting um, uh, metaphor here in that as individuals, it's so easy to stop and so hard to get started again. And as a society, that's exactly where we are. I mean, you talked about that one teacher at Prescott that finally left. So that that last little bit finally stopped so easy. And we know what it's going to take to get ourselves motivated. And then we have to extrapolate that by magnitudes to think about how we're going to get our society motivated uh once again so um first of all thank you for putting this out there it is um so eye-opening to really recognize the importance of making sure that activity and just activity is part of our kids lives when they're in school whether that's structured and calisthenics or whether that's just letting them go out and and move and breathe and do the things that they need to do uh, so I think I've come up with an observation. I'd love to get your feedback on this. And when we look at, uh, I've had this thought, and everybody understands this, that exercise a lot. We, we basically, as a society, have stopped eating right and exercising. And then, of course, we get sick, and then we pop a pill to fix our illness, 
right? Well, what I'm coming to the conclusion with um, is that that's all about when we exercise and eat right, we create resilience in our body, right? Our body becomes resilient to diseases, uh, stressors, etc. Well, by also getting rid of regular exercise and eating right and, um, I'm sorry, that's me. So when we get to the point where we're not eating right and exercising, we're also not creating mental resilience. And then we're seeing all of our kids having uh, mental issues. Then there are a lot of extraneous uh, circumstances. But if we had, if we're able to give our kids that mental resilience and strength through exercising and then also other uh, social skills that we can create that resilience uh, for against mental depression and mental health. And so we don't have to also then pop the mental health pills. Right. And what we're talking about here are the preventable illnesses, preventable mental health illnesses. So when you talk about preventable, you're in the 80% category. And you're always going to have those that have some other issue. But, but so as long as we understand that, that we're talking about that 80% crowd right now, um, everything is in a system in our bodies, you know, so you're, you're absolutely correct. And what I understand is, you know, we have things like our stem cells. They do the repair. As we're running, we are tearing things up. Just, we are. We, every time we exercise. When we eat certain foods, we are actually stressing out the system a little bit. All those things stress it out a little. Um, but that stress is good. Our bodies then go in, our stem cells go in and do repair. But if you're taking um, things like um, ibuprofen, is my understanding. Ibuprofen actually blocks your body's ability, stem cells' ability to repair. So we see high school kid, teach, uh, coaches, not good ones, tell football kids, Start a regimen of ibuprofen every day so that you don't start feeling sore and swollen in your knees and by hitting. And then we see those kids in the next year, year and a half, undergo orthopedic surgery for their knees. Well, there's a completely direct correlation there. That's not, um, and so when we eat well, you know, we enhance our body's system. And, and so... Just because you can outdo it, like you can out-exercise it for some people, and you're still looking decent, it's um, what's going on inside. It's it's just not it's not the same thing. And the other thing I've, I I would like to also say is we have a lot of people who are gamers, right, or 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 tech guys, you know, in Silicon Valley or whatnot, and um, so they don't have very good physique. You know, they're just kind of sitting down and think they're just doing fine. And they don't understand that even though they're, they're gut and they're flabby and this and that, that's bad. They think, oh, I'm still sharp. I'll do like brain gym exercises or whatever. I'm keeping my brain going. No, you're not. It's impossible. There's nothing harder for that brain to bring your left arm up across your body over the other side. Like that's hard for your brain. Your brain's working. It wakes it up. You could be integrating the flux on the bottom half of a cylinder. You could be doing calculus or whatever you're doing. And it's not nearly as brain building as getting out and doing a complex motion. And, and Dr. Rady says, when you run, like I've got a big issue with people. No one's going to like this because half the people listening to this 
oh. are running right now. I know what you're going to say, and it's 95%. But, okay. But, but, you know, Dr. Rady says, you know, it's better for us when we hear the dogs barking and all these things. It's like your brain's doing more work outside versus sitting there on a treadmill. And so it's something to think about. Like, how do we enhance the exercise experience so we build better brains? And, and it does more for us. And we become smarter. We just, we just do. We're sharp. There's some, you know, politicians, I would like to see them go out and do more exercise. So the, all of this comes together, right? We could see that. And, and by the way, have, when's the last time you saw a really, I mean, I, I think it's the Obamas were the last time we even heard anything about physical fitness, right? It's been a long time. And, and that's, that was actually one of my questions is that you had Michelle Obama, her whole thing was fitness. You know, she's doing a gazillion push-ups on the Ellen show and doing all she can to get kids fit. And uh, she was almost vilified in some sections yeah. for what she was doing, which is, is mind-boggling. Oh, people said they used the word fat-shaming and all kinds of things. You know, you're out there trying to inspire and help people, and people don't want to change. People don't. Look at it. We love this. We love people when they're telling us, hey, do this, this, and you're going to improve life. You will mock the heck out of it if you're not interested in improving your life. That's just what you do. You have to justify it. Nobody wants to say, I'm a lazy bum, and I don't want to do anything. <laughs> oh, sometimes I'm a lazy bum. Oh, yeah. man. The other day? Yes, actually, but, yesterday. But don't you notice that you are less of a lazy bum the day you exercise than the day you don't? It's true. Although, uh, I did have some fabulous cookies yesterday after my six-miler. While I was sitting on the sofa after your yeah, six months, while I was sitting on the sofa, and I, I felt pretty good about myself. Important point there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also found it uh, in- interesting within the movie talking about how that activity actually brought the group together. What was thought to be, because you mentioned fat shaming, and that was addressed specifically in the motivation factor where they talked about, uh, well, for one, there is no way you're having a PE class with just nothing but uh, ball hugger shorts on. I mean, that's just never going to happen again. Let's get, out, get that out there. But that, it, the going to the shorts and the color coding, that, that would create some sort of hierarchical shame within the group. And it was exactly the opposite of that. And so I, I, I would kind of like to explore how exercise actually helps bring us together as a community. Yeah, okay. And, and I interviewed 200 people before I actually started filming anything that were part of that school. And it was supposed to have some funding. I ended up just doing a crowdfunding thing, and it ended up being more of a labor of love by all of us involved. Um, the, uh, and, and before I answer your question, if I may, I'd like to share with you one of the first interviews I yeah. had and Please why do. I decided to just do it. This is kind of important. There was a guy, and I can't say his name, but he was part of the 19th, the, one of the earliest classes, uh, the second major class to go through last year high. And uh, he, he, he grew up in a, in, a, um, in a life situation where his parents had a little trailer, canvas trailer of some kind, and they would pull it around the country. And every two months they would move. He worked for, um, he worked for the oil industry. And he, whatever he did, it was two months here, two months there. And so he never, all the way up until eighth grade, spent more than two months anywhere. So could you imagine what it would be like going into the school? And, and, and he kind of got by using his fist or this or that, but he was never going to be the guy that gets along or anything else. Um, he, he says, until the day he went to La Sierra High, and they had these challenges for him. 
and now he's now he's now he's doing that instead and and and, and it's, a, it's a friendly environment it's not the um the bullying environment and all that stuff because it was like all for one one for all mentality we're why why would you be a different person off the field than you are on the field you know together there and we see that right we see schools that have racial problems but the teammates on the football team don't right even off the right. field so that so that happened for the entire school because they were exercising together because they were motivated to help each other progress because the goal was to get everybody together to progress at the same time from white to the next level you know reds to blues to purple and the whole on yards. and so kind of like a karate class if you will or something like that um so that was that group motivation as well as individual incentive because there was individual recognition when you achieved yourself so you had the best of both worlds working on there so he went through this um he gets his high school teacher pregnant <laughs> it was a different time he was a, he you was sure a this wasn't a florida story he was a trendsetter <laughs> <laughs> he actually gets her pregnant <laughs> so um he ends up going off and joining the army or something like that. He goes through boot camp and he was, he was the highest level real fast, you know, in La Sierra. I mean, he worked his way up. So he gets to boot camp and he progresses so fast that he doesn't even graduate. Really early in there, they just say, hey, will you, like the second week they had him ha help teach stuff because he was so far ahead of everybody. And so he was teaching and be, he didn't even graduate. He was bird dogged and pulled out. And he went on a special ops thing. Now, this was during Kennedy's era. He ends up reporting directly to President Johnson and directly to President Nixon, all the way up until the time President Nixon resigned. He reports directly to him by what he was doing across the world. So, you know, you can use your imagination there. We've all seen the movies, yeah. right? But we never saw them to report directly to the president. Like, that's who he reported to. Um, pretty interesting stuff. So there it is. Um, one of the motivation things for him was the first time he achieved 10 pull-ups out in the field, Coach Stan Prade runs up to him and says, that's tremendous. That's his word. He always used the word tremendous. He says, but if you could do 10, you could do 11. You could always do one more. So he tells him that. Well, fast forward to he, now he's 65 years old. He goes in for a routine little surgical nothing thing. The surgeon completely screws up, kinks his rectum, sends him into heart oh. failure. The, way, the time he wakes up, he's got a bag next to him for the rest of his life, right? He can't walk. He can't do anything. He's a complete disaster from where he used to be. Well, it takes him six months of effort, physical therapy, but using a walker, to be able to walk the distance with a walker from his house to the front door of the next house in a small subdivision. Got it? Yeah. yeah. Six months. And he reaches the front door or, or, you know, on the sidewalk, looking at the front door of the next house. He sees that flashback to on the, the PE field. And he says, if I could do one, I could do two. There's always, yeah. I could always do more. And by the time I'm filming him, you know, he, that, that, that thing was in the corner. He's going, and he had the best attitude. I mean, a total great attitude on life. He was resilient. So you were talking about resilient. I interviewed all 200, the first 200 people I interviewed. All of them had a story like that. All of it, they learned on the PE field. We all learned it somewhere else. 
but they were uniformly learning it there on the field together. And, and that's when I said, wow, this could change America. Yeah. This could change it. Uh, so one of the, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, it, when you do hard things, you discover that you can do hard things. Yeah. 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 That's Cheryl Moore. Yeah. She was great. She was the first, um, female to get that highest Navy blue thing. Can't remember how many pull-ups she did. You know, I just, at the gym, I just, my son introduced me to somebody. He's 79 years old. He's about to turn 80. When he turned 79 in the fall, he did um, 600 pull-ups in an hour. 613 pull-ups in an hour. Now, I'll let you do the math on that. All of you guys start grabbing my calculator, and you can figure out that what that is. Yeah. He, he, at the gym, he'll do it in an hour. He just sits there, and he does sets of 20 with very little breaks, and he just goes at it. Now, he's had his you know, shoulder ripped up for, for other, other things before and all kinds of stuff. And, and he has to use the spikes coming straight out. He can't do that grip. You know, he can't do the, uh, the front grip. He has to do more of a chin-up grip, but it's actually just parallel to the bar or perpendicular to the bar grip. Um, so technically, it might be considered a chin-up, but I don't really care. <laughs> Who cares? Um, <laughs> my son sat with him and just watched him pop off like 50 pull-ups straight working out with him. he goes dad i was doing sets of 15 although my son used the weighted belt sometimes he puts a 45 on pretty impressive <laughs> well, well, that would be a, an age grade <laughs> yeah age graded pull up <laughs> yeah, yeah. but he's 79 years old yeah. guys and his skin yeah. is amazing and 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 so you talk about what can we be and he was one of those guys same story you know he learned it all he learned it in the military he got his, his introduction he says that they had to do 10 pull-ups to get into the mess hall in the army. He had to do that three times a day. He had to do 10 pull-ups going in every time. And I will tell you, I complained to the mili- to the Marines when we did a uh, show on Fox and Friends for this, for this film, when it was doing crowdfunding, because uh, the Marines came on with me. And I said, how, to the head of the PR, I said, how come you're only doing three pull-ups now to get into the Marines and six to graduate? He goes, well, I got to tell you, that's the population we have now to draw from we wouldn't be able to fill any more seats if we raised it. And we have to probably drop it pretty soon. This was back in 2016 that he said it to me. I mean, I'm sure with COVID, they probably had to or will. So, you know, it's pretty sad that even the, the army, which required no admission exam of any kind, you had to do 10 pull-ups just to eat each meal. Right. And today... Six gets you to graduate from the Marines. I mean, there's your story. <laughs> oh man, that would be. I, I'm sure, uh, 99.9% of the people would be against it. But like, forcing kids to do uh, three or four pull-ups before they got to go into the cafeteria would be a great motivation <laughs> on kids it's, at it's school. It's the best exercise there is in that category. Even exercises your legs. I mean, if you do it correctly, you're doing a scapular pull-up, pulling for the scapula, not going all the way down. So you're pulling with your arms, you're pulling right here, your lats, you know, your scapula. So yeah, there's, there's really nothing else like that. And, um, and I had a school actually doing this film. They got interested in this and they put up a pull-up bar and then somebody broke their arm because they were using the kid as a swing. He breaks his arm, they get worried and they pulled it down. And I was like, 
You were the, like the only school that had a pull-up yeah. bar in California oh, for geez. like three months, and then it's got pulled down. Oh, man. Like, all right. So uh, before we run out of time, I would like to flip this conversation to just a small sliver of uh, a few things that I found very interesting in your documentary on fasting. Um, first of all, uh, being a, uh, a, a large listener base of, of old crazy runners, I know that especially the guys, we've got a, a little trouble with the midsection sometimes we'd like to get down. Right. So I'd like you to just briefly go over, um, you know, maybe a, a 6 p.m., 10 a.m. intermittent fasting regime and how that really helps us get rid of that uh, midsection fat. Yeah. So in the 70s, we knew this. In the 70s, there was a study done, and they took a diabetic and a healthy person, and they gave them both a glass of orange juice. And they had them drink it at 9 in the morning and 9 at night. And at 9 in the morning, the diabetic, you know, it spikes way up, takes forever to come down. And the other, the healthy person comes right down or whatever, whatever it's supposed to do. I yeah, don't it did the right thing. <laughs> um, but then at night at night, they parallel exactly the both of them. Because everyone's a diabetic at night at night. Because your pancreas goes to sleep at seven. It doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. You can keep eating all you want. Your body's done digesting food. That's a daytime activity, daytime processes, circadian rhythm. You cannot change this right? Your body does specific things in the daytime and specific things in the nighttime. And melatonin is the signal release. More than makes you feel sleepy, it's the signal to switch over to nighttime mode. Think of nighttime mode as like a dishwasher, right? Um, we all want the dishwasher to run the whole time it's supposed to run. Nobody wants to eat on bad dishes. So in order for the dishwasher in our body to start, that gut has to be empty for eight straight hours to start, and it's a four-hour process. Got it? So yeah. if you're going to eat, and you're like, I got to eat before I run. I just have to. I have to have a little bit in my system. It's four, at 4.30 in the morning. Guess what? You better not eat after 4.30 at night. You have to have that 12-hour thing. Else, your body won't do everything it's supposed to do, including the fighting your cancerous cells, which are always there. So it's a cancer suppression. It's a blood sugar regulation. It's a blood pressure regulation. We see almost all high blood pressures go away by just doing time-restricted eating, you know, not, not with the drugs. Um, so, so, so what are the ideal hours? I will tell you, it always matters where you live and what time of year it is. For me, in... Summertime, or basically, you know, not or not this time zone we're in right now in February, but the ones we're in after March, it's uh, six o'clock. Six o'clock is my shutoff time. So from six to six, and I go like six to six in the at night till eight to ten in the morning. Typically ten in the morning. If you're trying to lose weight, you want to push that a little bit. And if you want to really lose, push it off earlier, not later. Everyone like, oh, I'll just not eat till lunchtime you'll actually probably lose more by ending at three or four. And you're like, oh, I'm going to be hungry. Not really. It takes two weeks. And once two weeks go by, your body recognizes and changes it. I've met so many obese people that they lost everything by ending at three o'clock or 2.30. And, and they didn't change a thing in what they ate. <laughs> it's like crazy. Well, 
So that's and and that's an important most important lifestyle. And that's an one. important point uh, to this also is that the the studies you show is that you eat the exact same amount of calories. You just do it in a shortened time. You just you know stop eating at four p.m. and start eating at eight p.m. And you can you can eat the exact same calories. Hopefully not as many cookies. You know, referring back to me on the no. sofa yesterday, but that is what it is. If you're talking to an older group, you know, I mean, I'm 52 and I know my body does best eating at 10 and eating like four. Like that's, that works really well. Maybe there's, maybe after like two, three hours, I can have a fruit and apple or something. And then it goes, it, it crosses through your body so fast. Then, then you eat again. You need about a four hour break in between meals, ideally. And um, if that's difficult for you because of high, you know, sugar levels, you might be really screwed up. You, you, you just rational training. You start slow. You start building toward it. So that's the first thing. And the other thing to make this really work is you got to get rid of all artificial sugars. All of them. And people go, well, what about monk fruit? Well, if you know it's clean, that's natural. But if they're spiking it, with aspartame or something, and they are a lot of times if it's coming from China, um, then be careful with that as well. Honey, if you're going to get honey, I would get it from your local person, nothing at the store because they are feeding those bees with honey typically. Um, or it's being imported from Vietnam because it can't be imported from China because they, China was, it was, they realized that they were spiking it, right? Putting that stuff in the, the honey and, and putting artificial flavor in, but not saying it. And so now they're importing that through a different country, the same product through here. And where's the FDA, right? And so um, those are things to think about. But, but what Dr. Julie Weisachel, who has done this the most in a clinical setting with patients in 2012, what she realized is she'll look at a patient and she'll have some lose all this weight, blood pressure drops, liver disease goes away, everything happens, right? Everything great. And then this other group, Nothing was happening. They were not losing weight. Their blood pressure was staying high. And so for those groups, they started looking at every morsel of what they're eating. And every single time she found out that they had artificial sweeteners in their diet, she had them remove the artificial sweeteners and everything just started working. So it's kind of easy. So those are two very, very simple things uh, we could do. I would recommend um, probably just eating twice a day if you can, maybe a little snack but try to keep those gaps big between the times you eat. And, um, you know, Jack LaLanne, that's what he did. 10 and four. That's what he ate. Well, and, uh, and you know, he, he looked pretty good. He did look good. Yeah, and one of the things you, you show in the documentary, uh, I forget the, uh, the one doctor was talking about how, you know, we used to just eat three meals a day and didn't snack between them. And that's part of the key too, is, is, you know, you just eat your three meals uh, shorten the time that you're eating. And then, uh, like you said, avoid as much, uh, fake sugar and processed sugar. And I assume that also means processed, uh, bad carbs too, that, which is basically just sugar yeah. anyway. I mean, I think it's super obvious that we need to get back to eating. I mean, if you read the Bible, I always tell people, what would Adam eat? That guy lived over 900 years. <laughs> he like, he, would he have had it? If he didn't, don't eat it. <laughs> no diet Coke. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's an uh, an interesting comparison because I've also, you know, there are advocates for having, you know, a more sustained smaller amount of food throughout the day. So snack often with smaller amounts. And it is well, very interesting. 
Go ahead. You're right about one thing. You know, two cups is like the amount. Three cups is what your stomach's designed for. One cup should be like a little bit of water that you're just slowly sipping to keep everything hydrated. Not, we're talking about a cup. So just we're not talking about yeah. a big old glass of water you're down in with. And then, and then two cups of food. And, um, and that's your meal. And because and, otherwise your stomach doesn't have enough room to kind of do its thing. You've kind of overstuffed it. And we all know what I'm saying. You eat really late, Thanksgiving, and like, nothing's going to happen. But so it'll process right through. You do great. You get the nutrition. You do, and, um, and I'm a big fan of like steamed vegetables and something else, um, even about pairing food. So this gets a little bit weird, but um, I don't, you would never, you never pair a simple carbohydrate with a saturated fat. So you're never going to have meat and a hamburger bun and with French fries and a shake. Damn it. Like all of that is wrong. Like you have the meat with a vegetable. <laughs> Good. You want to have carbs? Great. Have those also with greens. So, so you could do, you, you, you basically have steamed vegetables. This is my default formula, steamed vegetables with something. Today for breakfast, I had steamed vegetables and, um, oh, what's that fish called? Uh, some fish. Uh, sardines. Sardines. My wife can't, she had to be gone because she hates <laughs> the smell of them. Um, so that By was the breakfast way, that, protein thing. That, I just got to say, that sounds horrible. Okay, I'm going to stop. No, no. I'm going to stop. No, it's great because I'll stop an avocado on it. You can have avocado on it because it's fat and fat could be mi mixed with that, but, but you don't mix fats with sugars. So you're not going to have a fat with your fruit. So you're sitting there. Once you understand, sugar doesn't pair well. I and mean, this is not in my film. This is the people I've. Um, this is how I've learned that that's really starting to work for me. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I have string vegetables. I put a teaspoon of olive oil on it. I put a little salt, a little pepper, and I put sauerkraut and half an avocado. And it is the best tasting thing on the planet Earth for me. <laughs> the the sardine with it is not an additive. Uh, uh, salmon with it is great, but it was a sardine today. I, I had a little time. Now, do you <laughs> do you take the time? Are you are you measuring most of what you're feeding yourself so that you you just or or have you got to the point where you don't have to do that? Because I think that's probably what a lot of people need is that way to restrict the volume of what they're eating. I I honestly, I'm just the personality type that can't do it. I don't enjoy food if I do that. Um, I, I just think two cups and I look at it and that kind of keeps me, that keeps me there. It works for me. Yeah. My son actually weighs in grams every morsel he has. He has exactly 4,000 calories a day. He wants to gain this much weight while he's working out. You know, he's doing that. He's said, you need to do this, dad. You need to count every calorie, you do other stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't enjoy life. I, this is my fun moment. Like, you know, it's one thing that I'm just doing steamed vegetables with. <laughs> you know some fish i mean come on i'm doing good enough it's working fine uh, that's great <laughs> well what i love is you know aside from the obvious things that you talk about restricting within that diet you weren't like atkins or full vegan or or i mean you really still have a pretty balanced approach to what you're eating you're paying more attention to what you're mixing together but you didn't like None of that was talking about restricting certain types of natural foods. No, no. When you talk about natural food, like I have, uh, I, I'm a, I like to make my own sourdough bread. I'm pretty good at it. And, um, and so I have that with my einkorn organic wheat imported from Italy, but whatever, my, my good wheat stuff. And it's, it's eaten away and, and I don't have any problems. In fact, I, I was going to make a, a movie called The Sourdough Diet. Um, I was going to do this. 
And because <laughs> I could lose four pounds in one day if I have a sourdough waffle and I do home sandwiches like with sourdough, French toast or whatever. And then um, I do sourdough bread with a little bit of salad, but basically sourdough bread at, at dinner, dipped in olive oil. I'll lose four pounds that day and I'm stuffed the whole time. Okay. I don't know why. I volunteer. But that does work. I volunteer to fly yeah. to Florida where it is currently 80 degrees and uh, be your subject because <laughs> that yeah. sounds good. Hold on a second. So, I would have to be the test subject drinking beer and eating cookies as, as, the, the, as opposite, the control group. Control group. You can be control. the control group. Oh. Right. We've got your documentary right here, Doug. I don't even know why you're waiting. Yeah, there we go. That'd be easy. We can put that together. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I highlight that because especially for those listening in, um, you know, I, I'm more of an advocate of, of keeping a broader range of what we eat that, you know, all right. the foods that we've eaten throughout history have positive benefits. And it is really just about being more intelligent and eliminating all the stupid stuff we've added in the last 50 to 100 years. Uh, so there's a, there's I, I, a diet called Nutrivore diet. Nutrivore, so you're focused on the nutrition. That's your focus. And I guess truly that spoke to me. So whatever I'm eating, am I getting the nutrition I need? Because I'm only going to be eating this many times a day, you know, limited. And I yeah. need to make sure I'm getting it. I don't want to be empty when I'm exercising and going through my day. I, that, that, that I can't tolerate. I have to feel great. So, um, and, and so I'm not a big person on restriction because I don't feel like anybody really knows that much. I mean, I know everybody, no offense to all the people who are in my movies. And I, I, I mean, I could text people right now, head of Harvard and all these places, and they'll text me right back. You know, you, you get this list when you do what I do. And, you know, and off, off camera, you know, they all, they're asking me, hey, on this other topic, what do you know about this? Like, they know about this one thing. So when you're really trying to put it all together, no one really figures it all out. And I have seen people try to act. Like they know it all, and they're usually one or two away from the person who did the research, you know? And so it's the telephone game for them, and now they're the YouTuber, and they're saying oh, all this stuff, and I was like, ugh, little, little worry there. I saw that in fasting. If you watched my film Fasting, you saw a really pretty balanced thing. We were talking about a lot of different aspects, good and bad, in there, things to think about um, mm -hmm. with that. Now, I actually lost most of my weight when I needed to lose weight by doing a four-day water fast. I, it works great for me. Four straight days, just water. Um, and, um, but I built up to that and knew how to do that and once a month for a quarter, and then I was done. And the, the third time was the hardest because I had the least amount of fat for my body to eat. Um, and that's what clears up my skin. I used to go to a dermatologist, had skin cancer, the whatever, the stuff all the time, every year stuff removed. And that all ended the day once I started doing four day water fast periodically, either quarterly or whatever. So that was something that worked for me. And, and so nobody really has figured this all out. So when someone says, Hey, let's restrict all of this stuff from your diet, or let's only eat this stuff. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> show me the 10 year study on that. Okay, I'm only asking for 10 years. They can't even show me 10 years on statin drugs right now. Right? 10 years. That's all I want. 10. Is that a lot to ask? No, I mean, it's been around since the 80s and they don't have one. And so this is, this is frustrating to me that we say we right. are scientific. Why, I'm like, why do we teach science if we're not going to listen to it? And we aren't. Why do we have history? Yeah. Why do we teach history if we're not going to study it? I mean, learn from it or, you know, recognize it at all. So these are, these are issues that frustrate me. 
and um it's it's endless topics you could do a documentary on <laughs> it's pretty easy really i feel like preschoolers are running the show um and so yeah i'm with you completely about really restrictive instead focused on um i like the variety i, I believe in variety because you know we all know that there's toxins and everything too and you know yeah. moving things around <laughs> are great and that's why i believe we have seasons you know we we, we could just cycle through stuff and there's a lot there. And I, I like sitting down and having some red meat. I know it's very acidic in my stomach, so I don't do it very often. Um, but, I, but I like it. I think it's really good for me when I do it. You know, and, 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 I, and you know, I'm always trying to figure out, well, what's that right thing? I know every day is too much for me. I could feel that. I could see that. And I gain weight with it. But if I do it periodically, I feel the strength. You know, I, I feel stuff happen because of it. So I'm not a restrictive guy. I, uh, other than... I, I think that for the majority of the time, five or six days a week, you stay away from the junk. And, and then if you do that and you're on it, then in one day a week, maybe two, one day a week, you can have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And that's the same thing with time-restricted eating, by the way. They did a yeah. study, if you happen to be a rat, that it made no difference whether you took the weekends off and partied on and ate late or did it seven days a week help put them back to back do like a wednesday sunday you're not a rat you know all those things don't transfer over but it was it was insightful so that you know you can still go to your daughter's reception and have cake (laughs) late at night and not feel like you're going to kill yourself by doing it once i I think we can call that the wayne's world party on intermittent fasting technique (laughs) (laughs) five days a week (laughs) do the intermittent fasting and then we party on on the weekends right exactly (laughs) uh well i can tell you this doug um we are going to be reaching out to you again because i feel like we've just barely scratched the surface of the things that i would really love to talk to you about and in part i want to go back and i i didn't get a chance to watch fasting so i i want to see that and i want to dig into it a little bit more um, and I, I just think this is a conversation that needs to be revisited again. So I hope you're open to coming back on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Fun guys. Uh, yeah. And yeah. it was uh, eye-opening and has been um, just enlightening having this conversation. So thank you. Hey, thank you very much. I think we need to have a Doug Orchard month. Holy shit. That was, <laughs> that was amazing. Um, so it's interesting to, to think about, um, especially talking with those that are listening, but there are just some conversations where I look up and I'm like, we're, we're at our hour. It doesn't yeah. even feel like it. It felt like we'd been talking for about 10 minutes. There was just so many cool things that we t- discussed, so many important things that we talked talk through. It was, it was big. Yeah. And for me, what I love about it, and it's, you know, it's basically how the conversation always goes when you really get into the importance of uh, exercise and nutrition, everything is that it's so fucking simple. It really is. It really is. Start eating at seven, start eating, you know, eight or nine, and then uh, get some exercise. There's your plan. Yeah. even with that, I like how, you know, he was very careful that, you know, we're all a little bit different, you know, yeah. you kind of find your own little way. Personally, steamed vegetables and sardines are probably not ever going to make it into my breakfast list. <laughs> I don't know how 
the it hell might he make it that. into the HTC van. Yeah. Uh, but what is, what strikes me so much is, uh, man, this is going to be a hard, hard thing to say and a hard thing to hear, I think, is, is we've trained ourselves as a society to not try to do the hard things. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's really 100%. what I feel like right now. Yeah, I've I've been saying that uh, in conversations with you know uh, my sister and other people that are very focused on on global health, is that we have just stopped as a society trying to do hard things. You know, we we have gotten rid of PE in our schools because it's hard. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Right, right, and and you know obviously there's going to be a link in the show notes. And what's really important when we talk about this, I mean. Everybody listening knows, you know, we look at our physical health, you know, very seriously, but there is a direct correlation to your mental capacity and your physical health. hundred percent. So if you, if you're thinking that, uh, you know, I can still be my best self, even if I'm not necessarily active, the answer to that is no, you can't. Yeah. Give me a group, give me a group of, uh, people suffering from depression and I will take them to forest park every day for a 45 minute walk. For three weeks and their depression will be gone or Give severely me a reduced group of people who don't think they're depressed who think they're doing just great and are probably yeah. doing great on all sorts of levels and taken to that same walk and they're going to do even better exactly you are so not one of your the best self one of the things that really clicked for me uh that i didn't quite get from the fasting documentary is when he said your pancreas stops working at 7 p.m right that's just, it just does. And there's no way around that. You can't trick it. So if you eat after 7 p.m., you are going to develop uh, problems. I eat after 7 p.m. Yeah, you're going to have to stop that. Or Doug's I mean, going to come kick your ass. Well, it's quite he common. won't kick your ass. His son will kick your ass. Oh, Ooh, I wish <laughs> or that 79-year-old doing pull-ups every 20 pull-ups every 10 minutes oh, oh no 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 that guy did uh, a pull-up every six seconds for an hour by the way i did the math in my head i didn't say yeah. it during the okay. interview but so uh yeah the 70 year 79 year old's gonna come kick your ass if you keep eating after seven yeah and, and i'm gonna say this because i'm sure this is gonna resonate with with a lot of people out there my schedule it's just hard for me to from a calendaring to have yeah. dinner done by seven o'clock. By the time yeah, yeah. I get home, if I haven't planned, if I haven't prepped, now I'm going shopping for the materials. If I want to eat something well, if I even want to try and eat before seven o'clock, I'm ringing up caviar or DoorDash, and now I've just blown it all out of the water. Now you blow it all out. Yeah. Well, you could have some steamed vegetables and sardines, though. Cause you wouldn't have to plan for that. <laughs> God, I bet he eats fucking tuna fish out of a can too. <laughs> Oh, oh man. man. Seriously so though, fun. everybody that listens in, if you take our show uh seriously, go out there and watch these uh these documentaries. The motivation factor is amazing. Uh so good. It's so good. It it really will make you uh want to call up your local school board and go, where the hell is our RPE program? Where is it? I remember those pegboards. They don't have them anymore. You know why? Because one kid fell off, it broke his arm, and then they took them all out. Okay, I want to go back to that on for a second. So I was in a, a, a training class. We don't really have to talk about what it was. Question about the uh, structural stability of, of a certain product over another product. And, you know, the guy's scenario is like, well, what if, you know, 16 people jumped up on it? And he's like, well, 
yeah, it's going to break because it should, it's not meant for 16 no matter what, you know? And that's the same thing. That pull-up bar was meant for one person to do a pull-up, not for some... Ju- I mean, and you and I would have been the two jumping up on the pull-up bar and, and fucking around and breaking something. Yeah, but it's not the pull-up bar's down. fault. We would have fallen down, broken our arm. We would have learned, hey, probably shouldn't do that. And then everybody else would have learned from our dumbass mistake. And that's how society gets better. It is. And also, <laughs> we have to look at recognizing that something was used outside of its, its focus. And it's not the something's fault. And then more importantly, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't just get yeah. rid of the pull-up bar or and the peg so, board. And if anything breaks within a vicinity of 20 feet of me and you, it was our fault and everybody knows it. (laughs) It was our fault. Although I got to say, there's got to be some kid that got himself about three quarters up the rope looking about an inch and a half of foam padding mat on a hardwood floor (laughs) thinking I am screwed. (laughs) Gravity's bringing me down whether I want to or not. Uh, So good. So definitely go see the documentaries. Uh, Doug Orchard. Uh, just Google Doug Orchard Films, and uh, you'll see all of his documentaries there. Uh, but the motivation factor, and uh, especially for me, the first third of the fasting one was really interesting. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends how much you love listening in. And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners Podcast Run Club because that's where all us old crazies hang out and that's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, keep putting in the miles, and keep being old crazy runners. Crazy runners.